Normal Sounds Can Sound Unnatural in the Woods by KKO underscore B. My partner James and I are the outdoorsy type. We hike, we camp, we wander, and we sometimes get scared of other people in the woods. One weekend in early 2018, we went to look at the Gosford Glyphs a few hours north of Sydney. The Gosford Glyphs consist of several drawings hand-carved into large boulders in the middle of the woods. The glyphs are shrouded in mystery because it is unclear how or when many of the drawings got there. There have been lots of theories, from aliens to Egyptian visitors. We were interested and wanted to check it out for ourselves. James had done the research to help us find the glyphs. After a bit of a hike on a beautiful day, we got to the area that James believed the glyphs should be. This is a relatively remote spot, at least a 40-minute hike in from where we parked the car, which was quite far from the nearest town. We thought we were the only humans around and took some time to rest and orient ourselves. There's no signage to help you find the glyphs, so we were relying on markers that others had described to know we were in the right spot. You would never know the glyphs were nearby unless you knew where to look. The area was unremarkable and typical of an Australian bush setting. There were eucalyptus trees scattered about, some shorter shrubs, and a dusting of leaves on the ground. Protruding from the ground about 15 meters, 45 feet, roughly, in front of us was a large rock formation. It sloped up fairly gradually in most areas and was at least 20 meters wide. James explained that the glyphs were inside this rock formation. From the top, there should be deep cracks that form hallway-like structures, and the glyphs were carved into the walls of these hallways. We would have to find a safe entry point to see the drawings. As James is explaining this to me, we hear a strange noise coming from the rocks. A slow clack, 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 clack. It sounds metallic and out of place. As we stare at the rock to figure out what it could be, an older-looking man emerges at the top, slowly climbing to the crest of the rock from the backside. He had a metal crutch for each arm, the one that you hold onto a handle with your hand, and there's a band that comes up that wraps around the forearms. He's coming up to the peak of the rock slowly. Clack, 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 clack. He's a bit out of breath and seems to be having a hard time. He's alone. We wave politely and he gives a little nod. At first, I'm confused. Why would a man in that condition be out here all alone? But I myself was still recovering from a rather serious injury from a few years prior. I know what it feels like to want to get back outside doing things you used to do. I figure that he must know his limits, and my mind moves on. James decides to go looking for the best entry point into the hallways. He wanders off, and I mindlessly work my way closer to the rocks. I end up standing with my back to a rather steep cliff portion around where I last saw James. For a while, I can hear the old man clacking his way down the gradual slope to the right, but he's so far away and out of my sight. I get a little lost in my thoughts for a few minutes, and then I realize it's gone quiet. I start to look around for James. It's only been a few minutes, but he's still not back, and it seems unusual. I don't really move, but I search the rocks in the surrounding area where I last saw him with my eyes. Suddenly, the clacking starts again, but now it's right next to me. I look toward the noise. The old man is just a few meters away from me, clearly struggling, making a lot of noise. I'm absolutely shocked. At his pace, it should have taken him at least three times as long to get to me from where I last saw him. I smile politely and try to figure out if I've really lost track of time, and if so, where's James?
The old man is just sort of standing about four meters away, catching his breath. James comes back, thank God, with a huge smile on his face, leaves in his beard, the usual. He found a way in, but it involves crawling through a little natural tunnel, maybe spiders, definitely dirt and debris. I'm used to this, and I'm happy to get away from the old man. We walk a few meters around the rock formation, and sure enough, there's a tiny opening to crawl through. We squeeze in one at a time, and we emerge at the junction of an L-shaped hallway. The walls are about three meters high in most spots, so it would have been pretty difficult to just jump in and out of them from the top of the formation. It looks like the hallways go about five meters in either direction. They're narrow, not wide enough for two adults standing side by side. We go to the right. Sure enough, there are strange rock carvings, things that look nothing like ancient aboriginal carvings, but they are supposedly also very old. We get to admire these carvings for about one minute when clack, 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 clack booms down the hallway. I turn towards the junction and the old man is rounding the corner of the hallway, having come down the other hall. I nod politely, but my heart drops. He stops at the corner right in front of the tunnel we just crawled through and the only entrance we know of. He pretends to stare at the rocks, even though there's no drawings where he's standing. He did not crawl into the hallway the same way we did. He had to have gone all the way back to the far side of the formation and used a different entry. I'm doing mental math. It's only been three minutes since we left him, and it would have been impossible to get there that quickly at the pace he was pretending to go. I hadn't heard the clacking until the last moment he was out of eyesight. I'm staring at the drawings, but all of my focus goes into watching him out of the corner of my eye. I think it is possible this old man is picking the crutches up and quickly walking to a spot out of eyesight, then putting on a show at the last moment. A Ted Bundy admirer. James, tall and broad-shouldered, is nervous too. We move further along the hallway to give the man space, but we get to what looks like the end of the hall. The man is clacking closer to us down the hall, an inch at a time, never looking at us at all. Where we are standing, there is a gap in the wall about halfway up, and there seems to be a larger open platform behind the gap. I'm very short, and I'm not sure if I can get up there, but I know we cannot be trapped in this hallway with this man. James jumps up first, and I watch the man. He's still about four meters away, doing his pretend clacking. I turn my back to him, and James helps me through the gap. Neither of us can see the old man during this. Neither of us can hear the clacking. I get through and stand up on the platform. I hear the clacking again. Old man starts crawling through the gap after us. James finds another tunnel that luckily goes back to the outside. We take it and emerge outside of the rock formation. The old man emerges from the tunnel just a few seconds after us. We walk about 10 meters away from the opening. So does the old man. He's clacking slowly with his crutches, despite all the very quick, complex physical movements he had just performed. He stops a few meters away from us, pretending to catch his breath and stare off in the other direction. We don't know what to do. He's clearly fit enough to follow us wherever we go, and we don't want to turn our backs to him. James opts to just stare right at the old man's face for an uncomfortable amount of time. What feels like eons go by, but eventually the man slowly starts to clack his way away from us. We hiked out once we felt safe, and we never went back to look at the glyphs properly. I have no idea what he wanted, but I am confident it was not good. I still think of him every time I hear someone using crutches.
Untitled by C260. This is a story that my mom told me from her teenage years when I was in elementary school after we discovered that the house we were living at was haunted. My mom's side of the family is full of people who are attuned to the paranormal. Most of us have some pretty extensive experiences throughout our lives. One of the most notable experiences I've heard about is from a house my mom lived in with her mom and sister when she was in high school. It was in Liberty, Missouri, a suburb northeast of Kansas City. A small three-bedroom ranch-style house with a finished basement that they rented. When they moved in, they immediately experienced paranormal activity. Lights flickering on and off, doors opening and closing on their own, disembodied voices. It was pretty much the norm for an actively haunted house. They got used to the occasional weird experience, as much as you can when you have a ghost in your house. But it seemed like whatever was haunting the home really wanted their attention. One day they were down in the basement in their TV room. As my mom and aunt were watching TV, they heard their cat start to hiss and growl. They looked over at the cat and then in the direction that the cat was staring at with a hunched back. In the corner between the wall and the ceiling above the TV was a gray mist. It stayed there for a couple of seconds before disappearing. After that happened, things kind of went back to normal. Another time, my mom had a few friends over to hang out. One of them brought a Ouija board, which anyone with knowledge of the paranormal knows is a big mistake. But they decided that they were going to play with it. They started asking it questions before dinner. My mom had hurried in from the kitchen to join in the fun, leaving a can of biscuits sitting on the counter. A question of, who are you, was asked via Ouija board. The board spelled out T-H-E-D-E-V-I-L. As soon as the board finished spelling out its answer, the can of biscuits popped in the kitchen. This was likely coincidence, but was enough to cause one of her best friends to run out of the house, refusing to go back in. The next big occurrence happened to my grandma in her bedroom. She, like many people on that side of the family, are not good sleepers. We wake up multiple times a night, fight to get comfortable, then go back to sleep. One night, in one of her many times waking up, she heard what sounded like footsteps coming down the hall. Whoever it was sounded much bigger than either of the teenage girls she lived with. The footsteps stopped right in front of her bedroom door. She thought it might be an intruder. That's when a man started walking through her closed door, as if there was no door. At least the upper half of a man, he had no legs. He did not look at her or acknowledge her, just walked along the left edge of the bed, stopped at the foot of the bed, and disappeared. The next part might be the weirdest part of the story. One night, my mom was asleep. As she slept, she had a dream that she was sitting in her bed in the middle of the night. All of a sudden, a giant hole appeared in the wall opposite her bed. Through this giant hole rolled in a man on a motorcycle with a skull where his head would be. He revved up the engine a couple of times and began to ride straight towards my mom's bed. Once he was at the foot of the bed, his bike jumped up and sailed over my mom's bed and through the wall behind it, Evil Knievel style. My mom thought nothing of the dream the next morning. She didn't even tell anyone about it. But a few months later, this would come back up. One morning, my mom and aunt were eating breakfast when they started talking about weird dreams they'd had. All of a sudden, my aunt started telling her about this weird dream she had a few months prior. She was lying in her bed in the middle of the night when a giant hole opened up in the middle of the wall opposite her bed and in rode a man on a motorcycle with a skull for a head. 
The man revved up the engine a couple of times before riding his bike straight through her bed and through the wall behind it. My grandma caught wind of this conversation, and when she heard about my aunt's dream, she was surprised. This was because she had a similar dream a few months prior as well. Giant hole in the wall, man on a motorcycle with a skull for a head, the revving of the engine twice. But this time, she said the man did laps around her bed before disappearing into the wall behind it. They realized that this was not a coincidence and thought that there was a strong chance that they all had these dreams on the same night, since they occurred around the same time. A few days later, my grandma was talking to their next-door neighbor and asked about who lived in the house before they moved in, saying they had experienced some weird things. The neighbor knew immediately what was the cause of it. The previous tenant was a man who was an avid motorcycle rider. He had died a few years earlier in a tragic motorcycle accident at a young age. After learning this information, my grandma went back into the house and told my mom and aunt what she had learned. They said a small prayer for him. After that happened, the haunting stopped. The older I get, the creepier this story gets. I have many of my own personal paranormal experiences, including at the house we lived at when she told me this story, but nothing like this. Untitled by Cats Lightly. This story comes from my dad, who is basically the absolute coolest. He spent his 20s traveling all over the world. He would live in a place for a while, crashing wherever and working odd jobs. Then he'd move on to a new city or state or country. He has truly incredible stories, and he loves to tell them. But he has only one ghost story, and he refuses to tell it. It was 1973 in Key West, Florida. He'd met some people on his first night there, at a bar, Natch, and they offered him a room in their big rambling beach house. Sounds like the setup was exactly how you'd think of it. Big house, tons of people in their 20s, all working sort of shitty jobs, partying a ton, people moving in and out a lot, people crashing on couches. My dad moved in that night to a room that had just opened up. It was one of the nicer rooms in the house, a bedroom on the ground floor with a window overlooking the ocean and this big antique sleigh bed. The first few weeks were fine, but after a month, he started having trouble sleeping. He'd wake up in the middle of the night and just feel a general sense of dread, like he wasn't alone. He's a super practical dude, not at all into spooky stuff, so it's funny to even hear him admit that he was spooked, but couldn't put his finger on why. He said he once woke up drenched in sweat and totally panicky and terrified, but he wasn't sure why. He tried to talk himself down. It's Florida. It's hot. But he went to change his shirt, and every clean shirt in his drawer, everything hanging in his closet, was also drenched in sweat. He slept on the couch that night, but he could always talk himself down in the morning, rationalizing the things that happened, until he couldn't. Something happened one night, and he just left, up and moved out of the house, out of Key West. In the middle of the night, he packed his shit up, didn't say anything to anyone in the house, just disappeared in the night. I've asked him so many times what happened to make him leave like that, and he won't tell me because of what happened next. He found another spot to crash somewhere else in the Keys, got a new job. He was determined to just forget whatever happened. After a few weeks, he was half convinced he'd invented the whole thing. Then one night, he woke up in the middle of the night, and whatever had happened before, happened again. First thing that next morning, he heads straight back to Key West and busts in the front door of that big rambling beach house. 
A bunch of the roommates are in the kitchen drinking coffee. They all greet him happily and say how happy they are to see him. He cuts them off and pointing at his own room asks, what the hell is wrong with that bedroom? And their faces fall and they say, oh no, did it happen to you too? We worried that's why you left like you did. Turns out that room had been a problem for the whole time they'd been living there. People were constantly complaining about it, choosing to sleep on the couch rather than in the room, moving out abruptly. The dude who owned the house and turned it into a hippie boarding house had bought it cheap from an old man maybe three years earlier. The guy sold it to him so cheap because he had too many sad memories attached to the house and wanted to sell fast. His wife had died there after a long, painful illness. And you guessed it, she died in that bedroom in that big antique sleigh bed. My dad is totally furious that they wouldn't tell him before he moved in and that they didn't have the good sense to get rid of the bed at least. He says to them, well, whatever the hell it is in that room followed me to Key Largo and I don't want it, so you need to take it back. And they said, well, what do you want us to do, man? My dad said to them, but also to the house itself, I'm just saying that whatever is wrong with that room is your problem and I don't want it, okay? So I'm bringing it back to you. It's yours again. And he left and never spoke to any of them again and never went back to Key West. I've asked so many times what happened to him in that room, but he says he doesn't even want to speak it because it followed him once and he doesn't want to risk it somehow bringing it back into his life. He's never told anyone what happened and it's never happened again. And that is the scariest ghost story I've never heard. <laughs>